Oh, good morning. Good morning. We get to go into the Word of God and uh, see what God has to say. You know what? We are supposed to see everything in our lives. Everything. Everything in the light of God's purpose, His plan, His will. Everything revolves around that. So that's number one. That is where we are supposed to be at, what we are to be doing. So, how are we to see the Jews in our day? How are we to take that uh, little nation? And uh, so we go into God's will, His plan and purpose to find out what He has planned for them and uh, for this world. Uh, We're beginning to look at the second section of Romans 11, starting at verse 11. Through 16 is what our text is today. Actually, if you take verses 11 all the way to 22, we'll see that uh, that is what's considered the second section. So we're taking a couple of weeks on this second section. We've been seeing Israel as a nation has rejected God and God has rejected them. And so what do we uh, make of that? A lot of people have their ideas and their beliefs, their opinions uh, about Israel. And I know there are a lot of people who (coughs) hate the Jews. They have ever since they've been around. And uh, of course it's not just the Muslims, but it's uh, the religions, uh, most of the nations of the world. And even many in our country today, and even the church, the evangelical church of our days... Uh, sometimes does not know what to do with Israel. And so uh, we know that God says uh, that he turned to the Gentiles. But Paul asked a question that we looked at last week in Romans 11, the first ten verses, and he said, As God cast away his people, and he expected for them to say, no, he is not. In the way that he questioned that, that was the answer that is right. So in those first ten verses, even though there is a rejection of Israel by God, it's not total. Because Paul gave examples that he was one to prove that God is not totally finished with Israel. And then he appealed to prophets, David, the psalm writer, and gave, uh, I think, very clear evidence that God is not finished or rejected Israel in the totality of it. In the second section, we see that the rejection of Israel is not final. It's not over. It's not finally done and there's nothing left after that. So it's not total last week. And this week it is not final in this particular section that we are at. So that's where we left off from last week and going into this week. Paul is putting before us what exactly has happened to the Jew and why doing so in terms of their relationship with the Gentiles. I uh, know there are a lot of Christians who 
like to do totally away with Israel. And they use a replacement theology and say, uh, Israel has been replaced by the church. So now the church is Israel, Israel is the church. And that presents all sorts of problems throughout all of the Bible. And what do they do with Romans 9, 10, and 11? I happened to be looking at Facebook yesterday and there was one question put out by a Christian. And he said, why is it that people all over the world hate the Jews? <clears throat> there were comments in favor of what he was saying. Why do they hate them? You know, it's like they shouldn't. It's Biblically, it's not correct to do that. But then, of all people, people that would definitely call themselves active Christians get on there and say, God is done with Israel. He has no more plan for them. We are the church. We are Israel. And God is done with them forever, eternally. And they would even use the word that would be associated with hate. These are Christians, mind you. And if even if we were to look at some of our own people that we are thankful so much, even Luther had troubles with the Jews, and he even had said at one time that their houses needed to be burnt, the people needed to be ran out of the country. Matter of fact, uh, I would say there was definitely an anti-Semitism, anti-Jewish there in much of what Luther's thought was. Many of the reformers had problems because of that. but And these are the guys that we are thankful for. But many of those got this aspect wrong. And how they ever did, I do not know. Because most of those guys are masters of the books, book of Romans. And yet here in Romans 9, 10, 11, I can't think of any clearer passage that deals with what about the Jewish people it's about the purpose of God. It's not even about the Jewish people. It's not about the Gentiles. Everything should be taken in the light of what is God's purpose in this. So when we pray, isn't that what we do? He says, pray in the name of Jesus. Pray that His will be done. And that's what we want to do in living our lives so what we have here dealing with is that we see what has happened, what is happening, but we're going to take it right on in to the remote future. Ultimately, the most important aspect of what is happening to the Jews and what has happened is the great plan of God. His great purpose is incredible. And we know first He came to the Jew. And then the Jew was to take it to the Gentile. And then the apostles, and especially we think of Paul, who took it to the Gentiles, representing all the world. And then the rest of that plan is that God will go back to the Jew. His election is not irrevocable. His choice is not irrevocable. We'll see that later on in Romans 11. There's just been a partial hardening that has happened to the Jew. God as a whole has turned to the Gentile. That's what he's saying. But we know that there's ultimately a blessing not only for the Gentiles, 
there's a blessing for the Jews as a result of even their rejection of God as he goes to the Gentiles. There's a blessing for the whole world. There's a blessing for us because we are the Gentiles. And we thank the Lord for that great plan, don't we? You know what? That is how we are to view all things rather than taking a certain camp and going with whatever that camp says. That's what I'm going to believe. We must be challenged by the Word of God. Reformed theology is simply this. Semper reformandi. Which means always reforming. Because even the great reformers didn't get it all right. Why not? Because they were men. And we are men too. Men and women, we are of, of that same thought. We must be constantly reforming into the very aspect of Jesus Christ and conforming to this Word. So I would challenge anybody that would say Israel is done. And that's what we're going to set out to look at again today as we've been doing 9, 10, and 11. Let's... Uh, Take our Bibles up and uh, let's read this passage. Let's stand. <clears throat> Aren't you glad that God reveals His truth? Amen. Humanly, I would think, well, they rejected God. Finally, it's over 70 A.D. That was it. And it's all over. And so therefore, I'd say, well, God can't save them anymore. But what does He say about that? Romans 11, 11, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. <clears throat> Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Your Word is truth. Your Word is plain. It is clear. And when it's not, it can be studied and we can be taught by the Holy Spirit. The deep things of God. The world rejects the Jews as a whole. There are not very many standing with them. And Lord, forgive them. And forgive this nation of how it now views the Jewish people. Because as we just read here in Scripture, and there's so much more, that you have clearly revealed what your plan is. Why would anyone who holds your word dear reject it? Lord, make it clear to those people that your word is truth. 
In Jesus' name, Amen. I really have a heart for the for this whole section and what uh, the nation of Israel is. It's, a, it's really a microcosm of how God deals with the sinner and electing people. It has everything to do with us as well. How important it is. Because if He rejected them, why wouldn't He have rejected all of the whole world and all the Gentiles? Why wouldn't He reject me who was an absolute sinner? Depraved, totally. And you know what? It's by God's grace that He came in and saved me and saved all of you. And so therefore, if one wants to reject Israel, then they also have to reject their own salvation. That's how serious it is to me. I've had people, very dear brothers in Christ, who disagree with what we believe here and what this text is, and they believe every word of God, they say. And so they uh, approach me and say, you're not going to say that uh, God is, still has a plan for Israel, are you? I go, absolutely. When we had a Bible study one time, we actually had people that, multiple people in our Bible study, that actually didn't believe in a, that there was even a nation Israel. Those people really aren't Jewish. I couldn't believe what I heard. And I said, well, when we get to Romans 9, 10, 11, I think we're going to see this clearly. And I said, uh, you're not going to really teach that, are you? And I was just overwhelmed. I said, I'm going to teach whatever's there. And so I went over it with them before we even started, showing what my intention was, was to teach whatever Paul wrote here, which to me is as clear as a bell, and I'm not that smart. And I think anybody can get this. It's very clear, but the Spirit of God is the one that's going to make it bare in the heart. I think there was definitely a, how can you say it, a camp uh, of people. And we all get in camps. I, I agree with what this camp is. And no matter what they believe, you believe everything. And there's certain things in there that uh, maybe are questionable. We need to question it. Regardless of who you're in. But because of denominations and such, people don't want to buck the denomination Pastor might even say, yeah, I've got some problems with it, but uh, I have to teach whatever my denomination teaches. Otherwise, I'll get booted out. And so therefore, I think there are a lot of people, even baptism, that sometimes, deep in the recesses of their mind and in their heart, they know that there is such a thing as believer's baptism, <coughs> biblically, that it's presented there. And yet they continue to baptize babies as being believers, or not necessarily believers, but the parents are believers, so therefore we're taking that for them. There's a lot of depth that goes with that. But I think sometimes because they're in that particular denomination, they can't deny that, otherwise they're no longer, they no longer have a job. So they're in a uh, real fix, so they continue to go along with it, and uh, they're silent about it. But the thing is, what do we do with God's Word 
when it definitely goes against the grain of what maybe your friends and other believers around you say. I went through that text, even whenever I explained it, they did have some questions. They, uh, they say, okay, I, I get where you're coming from, but do you know that there's a lot of people that are giving money to Israel? And because they give money to Israel, it's everything is, they want prophecy to come true. And I said, well, actually, I'm not really saying that. What I'm saying is, here's what the Scripture says. Yeah, but uh, for people who are, are doing all of this to get prophecy fulfilled, I disagree with that. Okay, disagree with it all you want, but how can you reject what God is going to do with Israel? And it seemed like they kind of took that instead and say, okay, uh, I respect that. I don't think they believed it. But as time went on, I think we went through, went through this text and most people that wanted to go against what it was saying here continued to go against it. And that saddened my heart because then they're saying, well, you know what, I don't know what Romans 9 and 10, and that's what they'll usually say, I don't know what it means. But I choose to believe that they're not a nation. After we went through this, verse by verse, word by word, you're going to say that? I think it's a serious thing. And so I say, uh, actually, I could go through this one chapter each week, and I believe that we all here could understand this, and we wouldn't have to have a lot of explanation. Because I think almost every one of us have believed this for a long time. Because I believe we've read this, and we go, okay, I believe it. So here we go. We're going to go through this now with all that time that I put forth there in that introduction. And I won't use that introduction again because I have said it a few times, but it's just hard for me to believe that people can't believe this text. And so what are they doing with God's Word? Riches for the Gentiles. That's what it means whenever God rejected Israel at that time. Riches for the Gentiles as a whole. Had, had some Gentiles been saved before that? Absolutely. Just as there are being Jews today who are being saved and put into the body of Christ. But not as a whole. And the Gentiles are not as a whole either, just like the elect comes out of them too. But at the end of chapter 9, we notice that Israel stumbled at the stumbling stone. Do you remember that? And so we've seen that text that is uh, quoted throughout Scripture. Peter even mentioned the same thing in 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8. They stumbled at the gospel concerning Jesus Christ. They stumbled at believing him in Him. They stumbled at believing in justification by faith. They stumbled in you get righteousness by believing Him. They stumbled at the very blood of Christ. They stumbled at the cross. They just could not believe Jesus was the Messiah with all of the evidence put before them. Now, somewhat one would be thinking here now, okay, the stumbling of the Jews. 
can that be recovered? How could they ever possibly get back up? Because how many chances can they get? And all through the Old Testament, did you see him fall? Did you see him get back up? Did you see him fall? It went back up. You see, it's like our weather lately. <laughs> Stumbling, falling, back up. It was over and over again. How many times? I do not know. I have not counted it. I'm not even going to try to count. So finally they say, well, Christ was here, so that's it. Can you see that reasoning? Yeah, yeah humanly. Not scripturally. But it, uh, it is recoverable. Um, they can get back up. And it is not final. It's not final at all, that rejection that God has of them. Paul says that it's impossible. I say then they did not stumble so as to fall, to fall and boom, hit bottom and that's it. They didn't stumble to do that, did they? And what's Paul looking for here? May it never be. And what's the word in Greek? The phrase is meganata, which is, he said that over and over, over throughout Romans. And that's the strongest Hebrew language that can be used for no. <laughs> Keep us awake here. But uh, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. You know, um, we found out at the end of Romans 10 that God gave them a stupor. He blinded them. He hardened them. In verse 8 of chapter 11, God gave them a spirit of stupor out of Isaiah, then out of Deuteronomy by Moses, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And uh, then there was a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, a retribution to them. But their eyes be darkened to see not and bend backs forever. So uh, hardening and a blinding the whole nation though is not finally cast away. Even though he left us at the end of verse 10 with that kind of hardening. They hardened themselves, they were stiff-necked, and then what does God do? He hardens them. But it is not a permanent fall. It is a blinding and hardening that God did, but He also can soften hearts too. That's what He did with us. And so, stumbling had a purpose. What a purpose that God had. Would we have thought of this? No. Okay. The Jews failed me. I'm, you know, he could have said, I'm going to make them never sin again and never to disobey me. He could have done that. It's not in his plan. He let them sin. He hardened them. But yet, it's for a purpose. It's to save the Gentiles. We have to thank the Lord for that because that is why the Gospel was ready and, and He made us ready for us here in a Gentile land.
love. This should humble the Gentile. It should humble us. Through their very fall, salvation would come to the Gentiles. Stumbling of the Jews is part of the ultimate plan of God. Do I dare say that? It's not coming from Dennis. If you read this text here earlier, you see the reason that he's doing this to the Jews. This stumbling is because he wants to take it now to those sinful Gentiles who didn't have the law, who didn't have the oracles. It's part of God's plan uh, bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. God not only permitted this stumbling, He also used a judicial blindness and hardening. We went over that last week. don't have time to deal with it this week, but that was dealing with Jesus even said it. It's the reason He spoke in parables that they would see not, that they would hear not. We read one of those earlier, and that that came right out of the Old Testament. Isaiah, Psalms, the Law. And so now as he's built all that up, he has judicially caused a blindness upon them so that the Gentiles would believe. This is God's working. And so it says here, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Uh, Look at transgression, it means a false step. It means to go astray. And so that's what they did. They rejected Jesus whenever He came. That's the ultimate rejection. Rejecting Christ and rejecting the very Holy Spirit, that would be convicting them. Full light. There is full rejection at full light. Christ had done miracles in front of them. The Holy Spirit had worked all of this before them. And that means it was now, it had come too late for them. They denied, rejected the Holy Spirit because they had total light. So they transgressed, take a false step. Now that was during the time of Jesus. Let's take it up, let's say, a few years later. We know early, matter of fact, not even years. Let's let's go let's go back to Acts to start with. I was thinking during Paul's time we know that that's happening. Go back to very, very early in the church, the first days in the church. Acts four. You get the apostles where they're preaching and giving the gospel like they were supposed to, first at Jerusalem, and this is where they're at, to Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So it first started where? In Jerusalem. The church had the Holy Spirit come in, and so now you have this body of Christ with the very temple dwelling, and they're going out preaching. And look at verse 16, Acts 4.16. What shall we do to these men? Okay, they've arrested them, right? What do we do to these men? I watch this. Look at this. This is incredible. For the fact that a noteworthy miracle, these are Jews, 
that hate Jesus. A noteworthy miracle has taken place through them. And look at this. It's apparent. It's evident. We saw it. A miracle just happened. To all who live in Jerusalem, everybody knew it. And they say, what are we going to do with these men? What they're saying and what has just happened is true. What are we going to do with them? And we cannot deny it. (laughs) Isn't that the way it is? People hate the truth. The truth about Christ. And they are absolutely convinced that this was a miracle. And what they're saying is true. What are we going to do with these guys? Let them go, right? Well, here we go. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer in any man in this name. They're kind of liberal here, and they say, I'll I'll tell you what, let's just, you know, warn them, and, and we'll let them go. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Don't say anything about Jesus' name. Just shut up about that. Well, let's go. But Peter and John, they can't help it. You know, they could they could have kept back from a lot of trouble. Let's don't stir anything up. But you know, Peter and John, those are pretty strong individuals now because I mean they were before, but uh, they became a little weak. They ran away whenever Christ was being crucified, right? Peter and John. Now, they're filled with the Holy Spirit now. Here's what you do when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. They answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, you are held responsible. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We saw it. We heard it. We're not going to deny it. How can we? They saw the resurrected... I mean, they knew the, the, the resurrected one. And they knew He resurrected. He had been with them many times. When they had threatened them further, they then... They let them go, finding no basis. They knew better. They knew they had no basis on which to punish them. On account of the people... Because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. There had been a miracle that day. They're all glorifying God. How can we, you know, put shackles and chains on them? How can we beat them with all the people around? And, you know, it is just amazing how people can have the truth right there in front of them and still yet they'll. They'll say, I can't even deny it. <laughs> but we've got to do something about it. You guys just shut up. Okay? You'll be okay then. Just shut up. Be quiet. So they were released. Okay. Now, chapter 5, verse 27. Now, I gave you a lot of context. And I think we can use that context in all the scriptures. We're going to do a little Bible study here. Is that okay? We're going to trace through real quickly. And I love to do these kind of things. Over and over and over and over again. And it helps to remind us what was going on at that time. 5.27 When they had brought them, guess what, they'd been arrested, they, uh, they stood them before the council. The courts, the Supreme Court, the high priest questioned them saying, We gave you strict orders. Remember chapter 4? 
not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles said, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you had put to death. Whoa! By hanging Him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to His right hand as a prince and a savior to grant, look at this, give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. We're witness. When you're a witness, what do you do? You tell what you heard, what you saw, what you felt. That's what a witness does. Here's what happened to me. Testify. What do you testify? What happened? That's what a witness does in court. That's all they're doing. They're before the Supreme Court and they are giving truth as witness. Well, there we go. Uh, chapter 7, verse 57 and 58. This is during the time of Stephen. Stephen becomes a martyr. And we know it's the same Jews that rejected Jesus. Verse 58 says, When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of the young man named Saul. That's the ones who were attending this stoning. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. He died. Wow. That was for everybody to hear when he cried it out. They all heard it. He said, Lord, forgive their sins. Remind you of Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's how we are to be with those ungodly people that are in our world. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Forgive them of their sins. Look in chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. That's Saul before he was Paul. And on that day, a great persecution. And we say, Hallelujah! And you say, Dennis, what in the world do you say? Well, where have they been? Jerusalem. And wouldn't you want to stay there? I mean, this is the seminary of all places. And this is where the church got its start. Look at this. This is where everybody's at. Let's stay here. God says, no, no, no. I said from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And God causes a great persecution that began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Apostles stay there for the time being to make sure that they, you know, the people around there get the word of God taught. It's preached. Eventually more and more of them will go out. But other people that, that witnessed the very resurrection of Christ, they had seen him. They're going out now and they're telling. Holy Spirit's doing that. But did you notice they killed Stephen and, and uh, Paul was a part of that. And he kept persecuting the church till chapter 9 of Acts. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, chapter 13, verse 45. I know this seems to be rather repetitious, but there's a purpose I'm doing this. I love to trace through the book of Acts and see how the gospel went. And it's the very power of God's Spirit and the Word of God. It's the gospel that makes the church grow. Uh, in verse... Um, yeah, uh, what we have here, the, the, the gospel is preached. Death, burial, resurrection. There's a, uh, Actually, we are at... I believe Antioch, where the church was first known as the church, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. I mean, man, it was attracting everybody. But when the Jews saw the crowds, look at this, folks. Here's the jealousy part that Paul was talking about. They were filled with jealousy. The Jews. The Jews there in Antioch. They see the joy of the Lord in the Christians. And they're filled with jealousy because God's blessing them. They see the tremendous crowds. Everybody is coming to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were filled with jealousy. What do they do? And they began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. To you Gentiles, or to you Jews, I'm sorry, first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And then Paul quotes Scripture again right there in the next verse. Well, and then verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord as many as had been appointed for eternal life believe. They were already appointed. They were already elect. They believed. You can actually be elect and not saved. Yet. It will happen. So, anyway, I thought that's an incredible verse. I love that. Acts 13 48. Remember that one. It's a great election verse. So, uh, 14 verse 2. Uh, you're at Iconium. A large number of people are believing. When I say large, we're talking multitudes. I mean, the church is growing in huge numbers, folks. These are people we're going to meet in heaven. We're going to meet them. How was it during the early church, right? And they say, I don't want to talk about that. Look, look at the Lord. Look at His glory. <laughs> it's not about us, right? Uh, but the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles. Jews hate the Gentiles. They're dogs. And yet they, they start siding along with them. How many times do you see evil people who don't even agree with each other whenever they've got something to agree on, they get together? They disbelieved, stirred up the minds of the Gentiles, and embittered them against the brethren. Verse 5, And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, <coughs> apostles were made aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia and Lystra, Derby, and the surrounding region, and there they continue to preach the gospel. So the Jews follow them right where they go, and they get chased out of there. You know what they're doing? They're giving the gospel, 
and people are going to spread the gospel there on, on out to the outer regions. They're going to bigger cities and the people then go on out and do that. That's what the church does today. That's why it's alive. And that's why we are evangelists. We give the good news. And this happened all through Acts. That's why there is a church here. Holy Spirit's in us and we offer the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. Look at chapter 17, verse 5. And here you have Thessalonica. A large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women now were turning to Christ. They were persuaded. And verse 5 says, But the Jews becoming jealous, there's our word, and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace. They would never have got with them. And they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren, Christians, before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. Apostles, the gospel, Holy Spirit, and God is just making it spread all throughout the world. And you know what? That's how the church goes. Persecution. Anyway, jealousy. They were provoked. You saw the word a couple of times in those verses. They see the blessings of the Gentiles and it creates in the Jews a spirit of making them say... Why aren't we getting the blessings that they are getting? There would be a few of them convert. Jewish people, along with all those Gentiles. Still some Jews, because Paul would go to the Gentile first. They would reject him, and then the Gentiles. And then the Jews would reject him, and then the Jew first, Gentile. That's the pattern. That's the way it goes. One day, God will bring the nation back. I know that because of the end of chapter 11. <laughs> in the meantime individual Jews are saved but there will be a time when a nation such as Israel will believe as a whole how is that possible grace of God how else do you explain it same but same way Okay, well, you know what this is good for the riches of the world the riches of the Gentiles will be gotten by them. They will gain riches that they never had before. Do you know when you become a Christian, you are rich. You are loaded. I know you're saying, no, my bank account doesn't show that. We're not talking that. Let's go further than that. And by the way, yes, He has blessed us with that. Uh, but we have to think a lot further than that. It's not the temporal things only. It is eternal things. So we look at Ephesians verse three, verse uh, chapter 3, verse 8. Oh, this, this is a blessing going through here. You know what? I don't really have to speak my own words this morning. And, and really, I don't really ever have to. You just read the word and let it jump off the page. Are you ready for this? This is great. This is, this is about us too, okay? Even though it's all about the Lord. 3, 8. What do we have here in 3.8? To me, Paul says, the very least of all the saints, this 
grace was given to preach to the Gentiles what? The unfathomable riches of Christ. I'll just stop there. The unfathomable riches. You can't go deep enough. You can't go high enough. You can't go wide enough. Those riches are eternal riches that just never end. This is what we have. This is why God rejected the Jew at that time to go to a group of people, and He's done it for 2,000 years, to make us rich. This is not the health wealth gospel that we hear in our day. That was never preached throughout the church until uh, really about uh, the century that most of us have lived in. Yeah, they don't read the scripture, do they? A lot of these guys were persecuted. They, get, they had hardly any money at all and they would give it all to the church. God bless them because of that and give them chariots and all sorts of cool things. No. No, He gave them eternal life. Matter of fact, some of them He just took with Him. He took them right on up. Because of the Gospel. You preach that, people get really angry at you and they get jealous and such. Jew did. Okay, uh, now go back to Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. Okay, I'm going to skip quite a bit. We, we get who he's talking to. What, what letter is this? It's Ephesians. What city is that? Ephesus. Is that a Gentile city? Yes, absolutely. Do they have a synagogue there of Jews? Yes, they sure did. But who's he speaking to? Gentiles, okay. In verse 12, they were separate from Christ. They were excluded from the commonwealth. They were strangers. They had no hope. And then in verse 13, they were formerly far off, and then they were brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Is that a gift? Is that being rich? He is our peace. We have the peace of Christ. We live in a world of turmoil and no peace at all. And you know what? We have peace in the midst of it all. And then you go to verse 17. And He came and preached peace to you who were far away. And 18, you have access in one spirit to the Father. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and you are in the household of God. You are not homeless. You are in the household of God. Incredible, isn't it? So we go to chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 17 through 20. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles. I know you're Gentiles, but don't walk like the Gentiles do. Also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Many people are coming to Christ having that hard heart softened and they haven't become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness and on and on. But look what they were given, the very household of God. And so now we move on and we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. I'm going to move through quickly now. Same pattern here. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which is a gift to God, which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything, you see that? You were enriched in Him in all speech, and all knowledge, 
even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. You're not lacking in any gift, he says in verse 7. They had all the gifts there in Corinth. Name them. They're all there. They had it all. It was a very, very rich church. But yet, God had a lot to say to them. On the negative aspect also. But how rich of a blessing they had. Go to First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. How rich are you? That's where we're still at. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again. By the way, there's another election and, and a sovereign God verse, isn't it? He caused us to be born again. Some might say, I, I, I believed in the Lord. I, I believed in Him. I did that. I trusted in Him. Oh yeah, I believe you did. Okay, then here's what you also need to know. He caused it to happen. You like that? To a living hope. Oh, man, folks, as Christians, we have every reason to have hope. It's a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that's the proof of our hope, right? To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and it's reserved in heaven for you, 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 every one of you, you have something reserved there. It's not going to be corruptible forever. My, that's incredible. Romans 8.17, since we're talking about that inheritance, look at this, look at this. And children, you're called children of God. Heirs also, heirs of God. And fellow heirs with Christ. He's our brother. We are fellow heirs with Him. He gets it all. And we get it all. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we also may be glorified with Him. The cross before the crown. That's what's happening in this world today. Amen. That's why there are tough times. We've got to keep looking to what we've been made. What we've been given. You know what I mean? Do you see? Do you see all those verses? Do you see how we've been enriched? Do you see how rich you really are? We look at the circumstances... We wonder how we're going to make it. God's never let you down. He always provides, doesn't He? Do you glory in this? Christian, do you glory in the fact that you are rich? We have to get hold of this. We look at the temporal and we forget to look at the supreme purpose of our great glorious God. Okay, back to Romans 10. 11, I mean. And we look at verse 12. Now, if their transgression is riches, if their misstep, they transgressed, if it's for our riches, for the world, their, full, their failure is riches for the Gentiles, I think we covered that, haven't we? How much more will their fulfillment be? Whose fulfillment? Who's their fulfillment? Israel. What's he talking about here? 
there's going to be a fulfillment of the nation of Israel where they will finally be fulfilled. They will come in, in, a, in a sense to a peace that they've never really had as a nation. You see, since the Jews have been the means of blessings to the Gentiles, how much greater then that the blessing will be when this nation of Israelites believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm thinking right here of us. Think about, how about when you hear that a Jewish person comes to Christ. Do you get elated about that? How about when a multitude of them How about a whole nation turns to Christ? What a blessing that would be. How much more will their their fulfillment be as far as our blessings? We know it will be blessings for them, the same that we have, but can you imagine in heaven sometime we will see Jews and we'll marvel at what God did for them. And then we'll think, oh, look at what God's purpose was. He used them. And because of the result of that, here I am in heaven. And then because of that, it goes right back to the Jews. Sooner or later, that jealousy will get to them and they will repent. The greatest source of blessing. Wow. Spiritual renewal for Israel it will be. I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles in verse 13. Inasmuch as then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Now, we know that there's going to be a spiritual renewal here when he says fulfillment. And I don't want to spend a lot of time what we kind of are near the, the end of time here, but look at Zechariah 12, verse 10. Cannot omit this one, and there's so many others, but I'll use this one quickly because it's very familiar. Zechariah 12, 10, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced they and they will mourn for him so as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him Christ like the bitter weeping over a firstborn I believe this is the passage where you have this huge number of Jews who turn to Christ they look upon him whom they've pierced Verse thir- chapter 13, verse 1. In that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David. Is that the church? And for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For sin and for impurity. He's talking about forgiveness of sins there. And then in chapter 14, verse 10. And all the land will be changed. This is at the time of Christ. Because when you look in verse 4, we're talking about the Mount of Olives. And who comes back there? It is Jesus Christ who comes back and His feet stand on the Mount of Olives. As He had left the Mount of Olives, He said, the angel said He too will come back in this place. 
and he and Zechariah shows here this is what will happen at the very time of Christ when he returns there will be living waters flowing out of Jerusalem and in verse 9 the Lord will be king over all the earth this is where the millennial kingdom will, will start right at that time and he will be the only one his name the only one you notice he will be king of the earth verse 10 all the land is going to be changed into a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate, so as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate and from the Tower of Ananel to the king's winepress. These are literal words. Literal places you cannot say, oh, well, that's just... The Tower of Hananel is whenever I am walking with the Lord and I'm filled with His Spirit and I'm up at that tower. That's how those people who cannot believe there's an Israel, we'll explain it now. They'll suddenly go from literal meaning to a spiritual meaning, and that's, my friend, is what the Roman Catholic Church did for all those years. And that's why uh, somebody like uh, uh, Luther, or uh, who did he draw upon? Uh, uh, I'm at a loss. <laughs> Fourth century. Who was the great reformer back then? Augustine. I don't have my notes, see, I'm in trouble. <laughs> wow, if I can't remember that name, I'm in real trouble. Watch out. Okay, sometimes I get my bulletin all messed up too. Verse, uh, do you see the, the, the places though? People will live in it. And there will no longer be a curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. This is the time of Christ, after He's come back, sets up the kingdom. We have a Jerusalem. We have it changed. Be lifted up. City of cities. Christ there. That's the key. A renewal for Israel. The fullness of the nation will be in full blossom. They as a nation will believe on the Messiah. And as we go on further through 11, we'll see that's exactly what Paul is gearing at. Now we go to number 2. Wow, here we go. When I'm supposed to be ending. I'm under an hour. Okay, here we go. Number two. It's life from the dead. And he uses that. Did you notice that? Uh, he, he talks about magnifying the ministry. And, and by the way, he magnifies that ministry in that he not only goes to the Jews, but he goes to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are now saying, huh, uh, they're kind of concerned with Paul because now all of a sudden it seems to be focusing on the Jew here in 9, 10, 11. He keeps, keeps going back to that. And uh, he gives much attention to this question about that. And it seems like he's neglecting the Gentiles. Well, he's not. He's magnifying his ministry by giving wholeheartedly into the ministry that he has to the Jew first and to the Gentile. He does it in order to show how privileged a position that he has to give the gospel to the Jew, to give it to the Gentile. That was a mystery that the Jews didn't understand. He magnified this ministry not only in evangelizing the Gentiles, but also explaining this great truth, this great purpose, the great will of God in how God's going to do this thing. And what uh, an opportunity he had. He dealt with the Jews as a people. And you know what? I've got a lot of verses where he was considered the apostle of the Gentiles. 
Uh, let's just go to one, and, and uh, you'll say, okay, one verse is good enough for me. Uh, hey, it's the Bible. He said it, and, and I believe it, right? Acts 18.6 But when they resisted blasphemy, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Paul in a testimony. Jesus said to him that you will go to the Gentiles. So he's the apostle to the Gentiles. It's a magnified ministry, isn't it? And so I had a lot of those verses there. I do want to go to the aspect about salvation uh, is not only to Gentiles, because the Gentiles then are going to lead the Jews to salvation. Because of jealousy. <laughs> and we go to Ezekiel chapter uh, oh, 36. Chapter 36 of Ezekiel. Look at this. Then, he says, I'm going to bring him back. Oh, verse 24. For I will take you from the nations, nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. This is not talking about when Babylon defeated them. They went to Babylon. They didn't go to all the nations as a whole. I'm going to gather you from there. See, as Ezekiel is saying this, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk my statutes. Did that happen to us? Yes, it did. But it also is pointing forth to the final fulfillment. It's the nation of Israel. Because look at this. To walk in my statutes, careful to preserve my ordinances, it says I'm going to cause this to happen by the Spirit in you. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, Israel, your land, you will be my people and I will be your God. Verse 33 says, I will cause the cities to be inhabited. The waste places will be rebuilt. The desert land will be cultivated. It says that through 36, 37. Here he's talking about in verse 4, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Uh, he says, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I'm skipping over verses. Verse 7 says, There will be a rattling, and the bones came together, and there was no breath in them. Come from the four winds, O breath, north, south, east, west. Come from They're coming there. They have been coming from all over the world, and they still are. They come to life. As a nation, spiritually, they have not come to life. But they're the bones. They're going to be rattling and there's going to be coming to life at a point. And then it says they came to life and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. And he tells who this is. Verse 11, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of the church. No. Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Is the church cut off? 
Is it dry? My goodness, no, never. Who is it? That's why he explains it. It's the house of Israel. He'll go on later on. He unites Judah and Israel. Remember, they were north and south. They were divided. They had a civil war, basically. North and south. And he's going to bring them together. And, of course, that's called uh, you know one stick. And uh, the Mormons have their interpretation of that. We won't go on with that. We don't have enough time. The ridiculous interpretations. Uh, replacement theology, what about it? Well, not according to, and I'm going to use some Reformed theologians, not according to Hodge of the late 1800s. Princeton theologian. Great theology there, great Reformed theology. He knew that this is going to be the nation of Israel that will be having a new birth. Who else? Robert Haldane who I mentioned so much, who believes in an Israel, who believes in a millennial kingdom. These are reformed guys. Murray, Morris, Godet, Martin Lloyd-Jones, James Montgomery Boyce. There are many who said, I don't care what Luther says. I don't care what Augustine says. And some of the other reformers I know that I'm taking this expositorily and I have to admit there's going to be a time when there's a large number of Jews. And that's how Jones had to go with it. I'm sure he went against the grain of his belief. But he had to go with what the Bible said. And so he said a large number. He wouldn't go so far as to say the whole nation of Israel, but he would say a huge, large number, this will happen. And he wouldn't say when it's going to happen. But he still had to go with that. And when you do that, then you're now opening the doors to all these other passages we're looking at. How can anybody argue with this? This is just the tip of the iceberg. So Dennis is not doing this on his own. I have a lot of giants standing way back in time and way in time now. We must believe that and not replacement theology. Number three is found in 11.16. And we're getting ready to close it off here. Whew. A lot of heavy stuff here, isn't there? Verse 14, somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. we covered that, haven't we? Fourth, their rejection is the reconciliation of the world to reconcile people to the Lord that are from the Gentile world. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And we read that in Ezekiel where they come to life spiritually. And here we go, verse 16, last one. If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. Okay, he takes a spiritual aspect here, but it's applied physically. And that's how you work spiritualisms. You look at what the real statement is in reality. And he gives us something that we can kind of get an idea that you would. Uh, first fruits. Uh, the first piece of dough. 
that's related to the first fruits in Exodus and Leviticus all over the place. The very first fruit of, of the harvest is brought in. That means that, that that is holy, that first batch. It's guaranteeing that there is more to come. Christ is our first fruits. They had symbolic first fruits that demonstrated a reality where Christ fulfills that. So, if the first piece of dough is holy, and he compares it to bread, you have holy bread here. First piece of that, it's holy than the whole dough. This lump is considered holy. By the way, holy means to be set apart. Now, I have a little bit of an illustration. We have Bradley sitting back there earlier this morning. He's going to show you his shirt. I don't know if you, know if you can see it from where you're sitting. And there, I can see that. What are those? And what is that shirt? It's a holy shirt. I kid you not. I, and Michael had everything to do with that from what I understand. His dad caused those holes to be there. Because he knew we were going to be talking about holy today. And we sang about holiness. And we, I think we read about holiness. And, and here we are. We're on this last verse. But by the way, folks, probably the most key word in all the Bible is the holiness of God. I can't think of a better place to start with people in that God is holy. And that is foreign to the church today. It's about us. It's about me. It's about what I feel. It's about what did I get out of this? Well, if nothing else, I hope you get it's the holiness of God is what it's all about. You see, holiness, the holiness of God goes Far beyond, it transcends everything in His creation. All the universe, He transcends it. He goes way beyond it. It's the holy other. The holy otherness of God. And then it also means to be set apart. He's set apart from His creation. He's absolutely perfect without sin infinitely, totally righteous in every way. All glory. You want to know about His glory? Look at His holiness. And when we look at His holiness, we start backing down. And we go, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And Peter said, don't get near me, Lord. The holiness of God should put us in awe. But here's the other side of that. We have been sanctified. We've been set apart from the world. And we are being sanctified right now as we read the Word of God. Have you felt there has been some growing in you? The Word of God is what causes that. If you're looking for feelings, just look at what the Holy Spirit's done for you in the last year. It's not by accident. He did it. He brings you to the Word of God. And... It's holy. Well, he's saying here that first dough is holy or the first fruits, it's holy. You think of Abraham. Abraham, Exodus 20... Well, I forget that. Let's go to Romans 4.13. Since we're in Romans. Look at Romans 4.13. Abraham's Abraham is like a first fruit in a way. 
For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants, and that's taking in this whole part three of this, that we would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. You have Abraham, and then you have, you know, there's a root. There he's a root. He's first fruits. Uh, the patriarchs could be very much the root. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then all the descendants that are after them, they're the branches that extend on out. And even to us today, as Paul wrote here in, in Romans 4, that because of Abraham and his faith, he, is, he had a promise. We believe the promise. There's the children of faith. We believe the promise. We are also children of Abraham in that sense. And so we are into promise theology. We are blessed by those promises. So we have a holy dough, we have a holy root, and we have holy branches. Do you get that? It's all holy. And in Zechariah 14, 20 and 21, look at what is holy here when he's talking about in the last days. Verse 20. In that day there will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, Holy to the Lord, capital letters. And the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the bowls before the altar. Every cooking pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord of hosts, and all whose sacrifice will come and take of them and boil in them, and they will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts in that day. They will not be like it was whenever they first went into Israel and then became like all the people around them. They will be set apart. They will be holy. Everything is going to be holy. Everything will be holy. Set apart. Do you see the purpose of God? Do you see how it's expanded as we've gone through these verses? It's the day when the crop of Israel, that's a nation will gather to God and Israel will be finally holy to the Lord because really that whole lump is considered to be holy to the Lord. When Israel will be saved one day, we will be made truly holy. When we go into the kingdom or when we have glorified bodies, we will be perfectly holy. We are being made holy. We're being made like Christ. We're not yet fully holy because we are in these bodies. We are a new man, but we are being made more in the image of Christ. We are being made holy, aren't we? One day we will be completely, finally, totally holy. You know what that means? We will know His holiness finally because we will look at Him we will be like Him. And because we will be like Him, we will be perfect in a glorious holiness. The purpose of God is all of that. Everything and all of His will be holy. Dear great Heavenly Father, what a piece of truth you've given us this morning. Even though we might already know this and agree with it, may it become even more a part of our life than ever before. 
We know that you have a purpose, and now we see your purpose. Jews to the Gentiles, back to the Jews, so that one day the whole nation of Israel will be holy, all of us will be holy, and brought into the very kingdom of God to glorify you in a way that we can't even imagine to this day. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have. This is about all our uh, our minds can take in. For one day, a glorious body will be able to understand all of the depths that are there. Thank you, Lord. And we give you all of the glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. In number six, there's a blessing there. I want to give this to all of us. Number 6, 24 through 26. You've heard it many times. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance, His face on you and give you peace. Amen.